Welcome to another episode of Pod Clubhouse's Love It or Leave It series. This one is for a movie, the recent debut of the long-awaited sequel to Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick. This is Paul with Pod Clubhouse, and I'm here with my buddy, Gabby. Yeah, this is Gabby. Happy to be here. (laughs) Happy to be here to talk about my favorite movie. Your favorite movie. Well, that bodes well for this review. Well, I mean, the first one was my favorite. So let's see about this next one. Oh, okay. Well, of course, we're talking about the 2022 debut of Top Gun Maverick. You know, I was at San Diego Comic-Con in 2018, and they were talking about this movie then. Like... Get ready. Yes. It's coming out. I, I was ready. I was really ready because it was supposed to come out um, 2019 or no, it was filming 2019. No. Yeah, it was supposed to come out 2019 and then they pushed it back a little bit because of extra filming. And then it was pushed back to like June of 2020, which didn't work out because of COVID. And then they said, you know what? We're going to wait this out. This is a theater movie. So since 2018 plus, we have been waiting this long, agonizing experience. (laughs) Finally. Did it pay off, though? I think it will. Yeah, I totally think it will. The box office receipts are already coming in. It's broken its own studio's records for just preview receipts at like 19 million. That's just in people that showed up for preview viewings, the hardly advertised Tuesday, Wednesday versions. Yeah, the one I went to. Yes, you contributed (laughs) to that number. You're welcome, Top Gun Maverick team. Let's talk about that team real quick on the creative end. Directing, we have a guy named Joseph Kaczynski. You know his work. He has done other movies, but not very many. He did Tron Legacy, which I really liked, and then Oblivion, also with Tom Cruise. Now, after that, he has a lot of shorts and like, I don't know, music videos and stuff. He did a Lady Gaga music video, but not a lot of features. Oblivion came out in 2013. I did like Tron and then I haven't seen Oblivion, which is very sad. Apparently only The Brave he directed as well. That was 2017. Yeah. And that has our guy, My is does that have Miles? Is it Miles? Miles Teller, yes. Yeah, yeah. So and I like Jennifer Connelly, look at that. I really like him collecting and reusing. (laughs) Well, that looks like a theme with this creative team. If you scroll down in the writing credits, you'll see the very bottom one is Christopher McQuarrie. His writing and directing the next two Mission Impossible movies. He wrote and directed the previous two Mission Impossible movies. He wrote The Mummy, uh, Tom Cruise. He, He wrote Edge of Tomorrow. He wrote for the screenplay, Jack Reacher, and uh, even directed some of those movies. So these two are buddies. You know what? That's pretty amazing. I I, uh, I was anticipating this movie for so long that I kind of just put it on the shelf and try to forget about it. Because after being disappointed by the push 
uh, after like three years, I decided to forget about it until it surprised me. And so if I had looked into this, oh my God, the excitement of waiting for it would have just like made my head explode because that is quite the resume. I love all of those movies. Moving on to characters and casting. Of course, we've got Mav, the guy, the reason for the season. <laughs> <laughs> What did you think of Tom and his his performance? Have you seen a Tom Cruise movie lately? I like to rewatch Tom Cruise movies as often as I can, actually. <laughs> and so I did see Edge of Tomorrow just a couple of weeks ago. And I did actually see Top Gun like a couple of weeks ago as well. He seemed more mature in this one. He never disappoints, but I was very pleased with his character development and where he decided to take it. Tom Cruise is one of those actors that has me convinced that there's a huge disconnect between what is perceived as like a public persona as as pursued and pushed by different sorts of media versus what people actually care about and think. Because you would think that everybody thinks Tom Cruise is a weirdo and, and that you should avoid him and he's just sort of a hack movie star kind of guy. But in fact, people, except for the mummy, people turn out for his movies. They really like to see him do his thing. You know, he famously does a lot of his own stunts. Like not really the super dangerous shit, but yeah, some pretty dangerous shit too. Yeah, definitely. Even in this one, you see him drop out of a second story window. A lot of guys verging on 60 are not going to want to do that. <laughs> Age is just a number, Paul. <laughs> to Tom Cruise, it must be. Yeah, so I know that um, a while back, I don't remember, maybe it was War of the Worlds, they were asking him about like getting in shape and what um, like what his techniques were, what mattered to him, what kind of actors out there like impress him with not their agility, but just with their form or whatever, their build. And I remember him saying something along the lines, and I should have, I should just look it up, but it's basically saying, you know, anyone can bulk up, but not everyone can be agile. So that was his message to the world. Like everyone stay flexible because then you can do anything. I think that's the ticket. That is the secret to Tom Cruise is he stays flexible. So bulking and, and everything he needs to do, like stays easy, easier, I suppose. That's an impressive approach. And that's a good point that you were saying. I mean, I have never understood how people think that he's a hack. I do understand Scientology might have a lot to do with that. But if you throw that aside, I'm, I don't really understand because like what people have against him, maybe it's like a jealousy because he always does perform a good performance. And even in The Mummy, I actually enjoyed it. So it was different, but I thought it was definitely entertaining and... I was there for it, but <laughs> alone <laughs> in the theater. Trying, <laughs> no, I didn't actually. Yeah, no, I wasn't. Maybe I was alone. Maybe I was with the small group. I don't know, but I did see it in theaters and I was happy about it. But I hope I'm not just being totally biased because I usually am an objective person. And as far as his acting and as far as his characters, they're always raw. They're always flawed. I think those are characteristics that I really appreciate. Like Robert Redford, all of his films are about characters that are flawed. They You like them, but they have more to them where you question your own morals and your ethics. And I think Tom Cruise is is one of those. And so maybe the Scientology aspect is the reason for the hate, I suppose. But mm -hmm. objectively, I'm not really sure like where people are getting this information. What, that he's shorter than them? I mean, that's just an insecurity. I'm thing. happy about that part. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I, I try to take uh, actors' performances as they are. Um, I try. 
I mean, sometimes it's just harder with certain aspects of their personal life, but, but I really right. super duper try. And, um, he's one that that aspect of his life doesn't overshadow the fact that when he's on screen, he brings it. He never phones it in. Definitely. Appreciate that. From the old cast, there really isn't anyone. It's just him. It's all new people. Oh, well, Val Kilmer. Well, that's true. That's true. Val Kilmer makes a short appearance in this movie. Val Kilmer pretty famously has recently had throat cancer. Mm -hmm. And this has left him pretty much without any kind of usable speaking voice. He can speak. He doesn't like to speak. It hurts. And it doesn't sound quite what people want to hear. And he knows that, so he doesn't do it. But there's a whole documentary about his situation. You can check it out on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> but he shows up here both in pictures and in uh, in front of the camera as Iceman. And that, that, is a, that is a cool way to continue to connect this story to the previous one. One way that they're not connecting is by giving Tom Cruise a new love interest, which isn't <laughs> surprising. The love interest from the first movie, that didn't seem like one that was going to last. <laughs> a little unprofessional, I suppose, but... Yeah, yeah. You know, they interviewed Kelly McGillis about whether or not she had gotten a call or how she felt about the fact that she didn't. <laughs> and... um she was actually very um, gracious about it. She was like, no, I did not get a call and and they would have been crazy to do it. She, she must have been using air quotes because she said, I'm a little too age appropriate these days. <laughs> oh, my God. Go, go, girl. Yeah. <laughs> With your truth. Yeah. We're not going to disparage anyone's uh, anyone's looks or anything like that. But we can say that Jennifer Connelly is gorgeous in this movie. And she's actually from, you know, she's referenced in the first movie. So that's a little bit of nostalgia as well. There's, so there are hints here and there of different characters, such as Miles Teller's character sitting on top of the piano when Anthony Edwards is banging away on it. Yeah, he was there too. That's true. That's right. So that makes it about one, two, maybe three. If, if Jennifer Connelly's character and Miles Teller's character are half, then that's, that's a total of four so far, four veterans. Is it clear in the previews who Miles Teller is playing? Yeah, it is, because they have that opening where he comes in with his uh, Aloha shirt wide open and his sunglasses and that little mustache. That's absolutely screaming goose. It does scream goose, and he is the living embodiment of Goose 2.0. He is Goose's son, who is also a naval aviator now. What do you think about the casting with Miles Teller? Are you a Miles Teller fan? How did he do? Oh, goodness gracious. I mean... He is a talent. So, yeah, I keep it objective and he gives me plenty to admire. I was very happy with the casting there. They did a great job. And especially just with like the little little mustache and the uh, <laughs> and the wardrobe, they goosed him up. <laughs> I was wondering if it would be a, be a bit too much for me when I saw that. And that was pleasant that I felt that it was uh, it was tasteful and just the right amount of reference. <laughs> there are other pilots and things. Well, one notable, one more notable addition to the cast is one John Hamm, mm -hmm. the current admiral in charge, basically, of Top Gun, apparently, and this mission that they're putting together for the plot of the movie. John Hamm, I'm a huge fan of his from Mad Men and just... Anything he does, it's it's a shame the true thrust of his professional acting career didn't really strike 
until he was about 40 because he wasn't really well known before that. He was actually like a middle school drama teacher for a while to make mm -hmm. ends meet before Mad Men hit. And then all of a sudden, he's one of the most recognizable faces going. So maybe that's a good thing. You know, he got to live a whole life and now he has a second round and maybe is a bit of an upgrade. Hopefully it is. So that's that's kind of special. There's a small contingent out there that had some hope that the Warner Brothers would get their shit together in a way that would create a version of Batman that John Hamm could play. Ooh. Think of him as Bruce Wayne. I like that. I mean, he's just so versatile. He can play any character. I cannot actually imagine what that would look like, but I do think that he's a great enough actor that I could trust that, and that's exciting. So I don't know that it'll happen, but it's a nice, like, fan. It is. Uh, it is. <laughs> he does the guy in the suit with the slicked hair, like, perfectly. <laughs> Um, yeah. And if you've seen Baby Driver, he can do action. He can do believable physical acting and, and that sort of thing. Um, he yeah. just doesn't do it that much. No doubt. I mean, I have not seen Baby Driver. Regrettably, I keep oh, forgetting. Gabby. I know it's amazing. It's, Everybody tells me I need to get to it for sure. He's Baby listens to music through the whole thing. And so yeah. there's really not a moment on screen that isn't set to some sort of tempo. Like yeah. pop, 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 pop. And, and, and you can feel it That's with awesome. just the way everything hits. Very stylized movie, but it's well worth your time. Absolutely. Yeah, I hear that, that that everything's choreographed to the music and the music was actually there blasting and and he actually had it in his ears. So it was really an experience. Playing, um, and this is just for, for me, just because I was uh, a fan of this guy on on the show that he was on. Charles Parnell plays another admiral. Let's see if Iceman is a four-star, John Hamm's character, Cyclone, is a three-star, then Charles Parnell's admiral is a two-star. He is Warlock. That was his call sign. Those are great call signs. Oh, my gosh. And he was, for a long time... Uh, Master Chief on a show called The Last Ship. Something about this guy's jaw and bearing just screams military characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't really have any other high or big notes about the other actors and things. I guess it's worth noting that this class of Top Gun aviators in does include a woman, which is newish in, in, in the United States military, that that's a frontline fighting position for women. So there's one. Yeah. And they did have a very ethnically diverse group of people in this top crew. And so that was something that I did notice right away and really appreciated in that intentional casting. That was really cool. I think that's definitely worth noting and appreciating. It's weird to think that Tom Cruise's character, Pat, or Pat, <laughs> Pete, Pete Mitchell, <laughs> is a captain in the Navy. If you don't know your naval ranks, captain is just the next one down from admiral. Captain is the one that gets control of a, of a large ship, you know, aircraft carrier, that sort of thing. That's one thing that's mentioned throughout is his lack of promotion given his age and all of his contemporaries, people even maybe even younger than him being superior to him in in rank yeah and he's highly distinguished <laughs> he's highly distinguished yes all right so the casting i don't really have any complaints in all cases then i would say the casting was great absolutely i agree good job a plus there all right so when it comes to the setting and the visual aesthetic i 
make comparisons to the 80s Top Gun, and it's just unfair that I do that because the way things were shot back then was the best that they knew how. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I compared them too, and I don't know. I don't. I did not think that it's unfair at all. So I'm really interested in your approach on this. <laughs> I think the ability for them to combine computer graphics in a way that you can't totally tell that it's computer made it so that they could mix and match some of those maneuvers that they're able to do when they are flying with the real Navy, with the Mm -hmm. cameras in place, with stuff that the Navy pilots are not going to do with them, but they still need on screen. So Mm -hmm. if you go back and watch Top Gun after watching Maverick, you might be like, wow, these dogfights are not that intense in comparison, (laughs) you know? Well, I think context is a big reason for that, and I can't wait to dive into that. That is a definitely a second half item then. But I don't, I don't know that there was like a defining like uh, look and feel from the way that this was shot, other than it was nice and modern and slick and fast. And I mean, every time they they hit whatever that maneuver was that would cause the vapor to build up around the wings, that, oh, yeah. that was great. Well, they did actually record like actual fighter pilots the first time. And so you did see that, but I think it wasn't as like um, significantly like, I don't know, I wouldn't say dramatized, but detailed, I suppose. Like I could see that the air like was different, but I wouldn't necessarily see the cloud. I just saw the like sound barrier heat like action going on. (laughs) Sound barrier heat action. This is not a science podcast, kids. <laughs> should, yeah, maybe I should look up these technical terms. I'm speaking as an air show fan. I apologize. Attendee ticket only. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I was just too short. I really actually wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was a child. And I, I watched this and I or watched Top Gun, the first one. And everyone did. <laughs> yeah, but I and so I went to um, an air show like every year I went to NASA all the time. I've met so many pilots. They've all told me the same thing. And and I, I never believed them. You know, they said that there was a height requirement for certain jets, but I still should do it for these reasons and whatever. And, you know, my big reason not to is because I don't necessarily want to be in the U.S. military, unfortunately. Like, there's more to flying than, like, just actually flying when you're in the military. And so that was really hard for me, but everybody did. But I don't know. There's something about Tom Cruise's character um, in the first one and then also in the second one that I just, I feel like there were many, um, what is it, like values and, I don't know, certain ethics that I definitely decided to, like, parallel my life with and... Yeah, so no, this is sadly, and not sadly, it is, and I don't want to sound biased, but it was a very special movie to me as a um, young per. I think like four to six years old was when I really started getting into it. And I think definitely at five and a half or something, it was the movie I rewatched over and over again. So I don't know, they, they brainwashed me, or I brainwashed myself pretty early pretty early on so i don't know if i was the uh, biggest fan in the room but (laughs) i wouldn't i don't know that'd be a good debate that maybe i'd win i don't know i grew up at the tail end of the cold war and saw this in the theater and was a boy of the right age for this to be the biggest thing ever 
you know. Yeah. Yeah. So various versions of playing Top Gun were a thing in just sort of imagination land, right? And it remained a very popular kind of movie, even though they don't name an enemy in either movie. Mm -hmm. I think it's supposed to be like a fill in the blank, like whoever we hate right now, just imagine their their banner on those aircraft. And that's good enough. (laughs) I felt like it was kind of just an ambiguous thing, like where it's it's like, oh, sure, you can put whoever you want, but it also doesn't matter who it is because it's more of a teamwork, instinct, loyalty, ethic movie. Like, I think it tries to stay out of as much politics and reality as possible to keep it on the like lighter side of things. And plus, you can't sell the movie in China if it's China. You know what? There you go. Smarty pants marketing there. (laughs) Boom, you got it. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else about this movie in a non-spoilery capacity that that stands out to you that you want to mention before we move on to our verdicts? Let's just keep it safe. Well, I loved this movie, Gabby. It is the sort of just, as the kids used to say, balls to the wall action <laughs> that hasn't really come out in a while that features the kinds of tropes and storytelling that I've enjoyed watching my whole life and haven't been able to see as much of lately because there's been kind of a shift in priority and making sure that other elements are addressed in addition to and possibly overriding those tried and true storytelling tricks and tropes and things like that. So seeing this brought back that same sort of feeling like this is the kind of movie I love. So I I heartily recommend it. Uh, What about you, Gabby? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think that it had the perfect combination of nostalgia and originality. I cannot wait to dive into that because it was both somehow to me and i think that uh takes you know careful writing careful direction careful acting and so i don't know there's a lot going on it's kind of really shitty this really was sadly like a nice little cloud or bubble that i could be in and not be weighed down by everything so it was a it was a it was an excellent pick me up and i i agree with you on the tropes and and the themes so i 100% recommend it whether you have seen the original or not and i don't know which one is better i think they are both equal and necessary but maybe, maybe if someone is coming in on it, like considering the dated, maybe they would consider this one um, better just because it is more detailed and um, more characters, I suppose. I don't know. Objectively, yes. Top Gun Maverick, definitely recommend to everybody. Well, we've put 28 minutes into a podcast trying to skirt around the particulars of what we liked about this movie, what we saw, what amazed us. So if that was all you wanted to hear, then you should just end this podcast now. Otherwise, Gabby and I are going to spend another half an hour talking about what we liked uh, specifically. I mean, spoilers like you've never heard before. So (laughs) because that's what makes them spoilers. You've never heard them before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's Uh, quite a magical and new experience. So let's let's hit it. What do you want to talk about, Gabby? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What? Dude, the opening fucking scenes, the parallels to this 
fucking movie with the first one. I I could not help but notice that, I mean, the storytelling was so aligned with the first one. I mean, you could, you could, I mean, there's like a bar scene around the same time. Like, like the first scene is... Actually, I actually wrote them down. <laughs> I really did appreciate how. Well, there's the carrier um, operations at the beginning, but with the new right. aircraft. Right. So that's. Oh yeah, that's right. They they did have that, and then um they did mix things around a little bit as far as like the um like when he actually rode his uh, motorcycle. Like oh yeah, he rides his motorcycle to Top Gun for both movies. That they have those iconic uh, scenes and like um where he's riding director alongside of photography. the photography. Right, exactly. The, uh, like runway. the director of photography really did. Yeah, like do a great job at the parallels. I mean, like the prep scenes like the jet prep scenes right like when the danger zone song is coming on in the top gun and then in this one i did appreciate how they did have clips very short clips of 80s music they didn't have like the whole song play out followed by the next one that's tied in at the end they had small clips so you're watching something new you're watching the modern version of the old thing with like small 80s clips that made it still tasteful and like 2000s or 20s i suppose we're in the 20s we're in the 2020s (laughs) (laughs) it's a fact i'll say 2020s not the 20s like the new kids are saying like oh we're in the the tens and the teens and the twenties, but no, nineteen twenties are the twenties. Anyway, so yeah, I really appreciated that. Um, you know, he breaks the rules like with the Mach ten, just like he broke the rule with when he was fighting in the jet and then like didn't leave his wingman cougar and and then he does the flyby. Then the next scene is like they're in the office where he's getting reprimanded, where he's basically like told we should fire you, but now we're gonna send you to Top Gun. Like both <laughs> times. Mm-hmm. And then the next scene is like him on the motorcycle. And that just happens throughout. And then there are some like swaps obviously where it's not exactly the same. For instance one of the big moments for me that just really hit was when he went to the bar that's like at Top Gun and it's a totally different vibe. He's older, you know, in the original movie um, or in the first movie, not original, I suppose. You know, he goes in with Goose, meets Ice, meets everybody. You have like all their egos and then he does the like, he's the hangman he lost that of love that and feeling. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so he sings that song and that's such an iconic moment. And so like it hit me hard when he went back into the bar and um, it was just like we were forced to like age like we were forced to be in the position where like we had to observe like we as the audience tying ourselves to Maverick and his journey like even Maverick you know he was surprised when they asked him to teach and he like was thinking he was going to be flying like we all were forced to be like no there is another group of people now like you've moved on this is your new role and so experiencing that bar scene for me and yeah how it was just a little bit what is the word not not like but it was a little bit staggered with him. It's like we were with him every time he was observing something new and watching the new pilots come in and seeing their egos. And yeah, he was the hangman, but hangman is kind of a combination between him and ice. And yeah, yeah, it was really, really interesting how they managed to force us to sit back. <laughs> like us nostalgic people. And then I'm sure all the younger people probably did relate really well with like the new pilots, just like we did in the past. And so I thought that was a really amazing way to make it personal for every type of audience member. And I can absolutely like keep going on and I'm going to go ahead and let you start speaking. And I'm sure one of these other um, 
<laughs> moments are going to pop up for me. The biggest moment for me was the end, the climax, and then the next climax, and then the, oh shit, they're not really going to do that moment <sighs> at the end. I was bawling the whole time. I was so happy. I was so everything. Happy, sad, scared, one of the, crying. One of the original trailers they put out for this included a short shot of an F-14 in flight. And the rest of it had been F-18s, the more modern Super Hornets mm -hmm. that, that the Navy uses. There was like this, like, how, what is it, what's that, what's with the F-14? I can identify them by sight just because, like I yeah. said, Top Gun I <laughs> was yeah. such a big part of my little life that identifying military aircraft became like the uh, my thing yeah. that I was an authority <laughs> on. You know, some of that still remains. And so I could see that F-14, but it was just a glimpse and then mm -hmm. it was gone. And then midway through, they're describing the unnamed fifth generation fighters that they mentioned about 10 different times throughout the show. They also mm -hmm. mentioned that the enemy, the quote unquote enemy, has some old F-14s laying around. And then I, that just lit a small ember in the back of my mind like we're gonna see that f-14 aren't we <laughs> oh my i just God. i just didn't know we'd yeah. be flying it yeah that's true i'm so dumb i remember that commercial that teaser and i like yeah i lit up too but i was just I don't know. I guess I just like jumped on that wagon of being too excited and it took me away into space and out of this world that I completely forgot. Once I actually sat down and started watching Maverick, I forgot everything. And maybe it's because it was several years. And at this point, I was very bitter and I was like, no, <laughs> I'm done with the anticipation. Nothing until the movie. I don't, don't want to yeah. hear you mention the words top. I really, gun. I, <laughs> that's exactly how I was when people were like, hey, you know, it's going to be coming out this. I'm like, no, no, it's not. I don't want to fucking talk about it. Like, and then I give them, you know, the accurate like release date and everything. And then when they're like, no, it's going to happen soon. I don't know. It's funny. My response was, um, well, they're probably going to push it back. So I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's funny. Look at you. Look at you using your whole brain. Impressive. I like it. Jeez, that's the other difference, right? In the two movies. You know, I mean, I guess the reason for it, like the dog fights, right? We mm -hmm. have many more dog fights in the, this movie. And what is really amazing about it is that, you know, even with the first dog fight, right? Like it was parallel with Jester, with Maverick and, and the team versus him being Jester's role and then the other pilots against him. Like, we got to see every single group go against him. So that was something that was different. And also, you know, Jester was playing it safe. He did push them, but not too much. But it was really nice seeing Maverick completely unleashed. And so the type of training, like the caliber was just beyond what he had experienced with Jester. And I thought that that was like such a glory moment for his character that I was, I was in tears watching that because I could imagine like the freedom that he now has, even though he still gets in trouble plenty of times. And we do know, and this was probably, I think I should have said this first, the biggest, like best moment for me, I think of experiencing this movie was realizing and seeing his relationship with ICE. That was a cool evolution that had gone from adversaries uh, mm -hmm. f to frenemies to uh, something like brothers. 
So, right, at the end of Top Gun, you know, they respected each other, and you could tell that, and you could feel it, and it was amazing. But then when you get into this one, it was just so, you could feel the weight of, you know, the decades of of that growth. And I think that was pretty amazing how we never saw it, but we felt it deeply. It was just wonderful and sad, like, seeing how history does repeat itself, right? Because Top Maverick is always getting kicked out, always pushing the limits. But... He did have Iceman. Like, you did need Iceman. Maverick always needed Iceman to, like, keep him in the game. He saved his life. Yeah, <laughs> he did. And, I mean, so, you know, Ice did it in return. And so that was a really, really beautiful thing. And so, of course, again, I was bawling dirt throughout. Even every single time I sent him a text, I was fucking crying. Because I'm like, they did it. <laughs> they got me. Something about just even the familiarity of of using his 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 call sign but just calling him ice in his phone rather than ice man yeah yeah Yeah. i like that it was it it told a lot about the relationship without putting a lot of it on screen for us to see yeah it was so subtle it was that spectacular fucking writing is what it is it was just so beautiful that's my favorite type of entertainment the subtle depth i don't know it hits you hard and it was just just a tiny tiny little prick and you felt through your whole body and and i got that a lot you know they did a good job at it with like the parallels like forcing the nostalgia the short clips of the music the using the same call signs the repeating itself they really did a good job at as i said earlier i suppose like bringing up these old characters and these old references and really tying them in and and another part was you know the whole goose moment like i don't know how many people didn't know that goose was rooster's parent but you know in that moment where they really threw it in your face when he was kicked out and then he like had the flashback when Brewster was singing like on the piano and he like they go to the like actual scene of goose in his arms like dying or dead his sorrow there like everybody was heartbroken when that happened to goose in the first place and so reliving that again i really loved that i think for people who've seen the first movie or who grew up with the first movie i mean they really felt like they were first person tom cruise's character i think yeah and for sure i think they did a really spectacular job at that specifically what's your read on goose's call sign being a female bird and rooster his son choosing a male also bird as his call sign that's a really fucking interesting point i'm sorry i keep throwing the f-bombs down i'm just so like enthusiastic about this (laughs) um You know, I didn't think too deep into it, but it was like in the back of my mind. Absolutely. And that's a really fair point because, you know, Rooster was trying to one up his dad in many ways. Mm -hmm. And because of that, because of the like, I don't know, spiteful motivation, it was holding him back. I think that's really neat that they... that's there you go another fucking subtle thing to stick in the back of your mind and give you so much symbolism maybe goose kind of got his call sign you know like bob did (laughs) because he's he's a backseat guy that's true and rooster on the other hand is a pilot not that one is female one is male but one is maybe given and one was taken i i I don't know i'm kind of making that up no but that that is like possible sound that sound logic 
Well, I mean, I've never, uh, I've only pretended to serve in the military. No, I've never done that. (laughs) (laughs) In your mind. That's a crime. That's actually a crime. Don't ever do that. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, so, um, I've watched uh, a lot of, uh, military movies though. And and I, and I think that kind of ethos would make sense to me. Yeah. I've seen a lot of military movies too. And for some reason I've never given a shit about like how they got their call sign. So I'm I'm ashamed of myself right now. Thank you for putting me in my place. <laughs> oh, that's that's totally why I invited you on here. I need, you you needed uh, a come up. Absolutely. Uh, uh, your 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 pegs were stacking too high. I needed to take a couple out. Absolutely. No, you took them out and you threw them. You threw them across town, and you know what? I deserved that. All right. Um, what else? The beach scene, right? A, a modernized, updated version of the beach scene. Uh, I've never even heard of two. What was it? Two directional football. It what was like, it? yeah, it was like two way football or something. Where it's not really football; it's just offense and defense at the same time. Offense and defense at the same time. Like I like that game. In the in the scope of the training program, it was bef- without the information that came the next day. It was a great move. I thought, um, of course. They found out the next day that they had no time left, and so they probably should have been studying <laughs> right then. No, but, because uh, they needed the teamwork. That's more did. important than anything. They have the skills. They just needed to be aligned with each other. John Hamm kept having to be the the dad of this group, right? Which he did. You ever watch Mad Men? Absolutely. All right. So I had, love Don Draper. So he had Don had to do that same kind of thing. Except every so often he did soften up and relate to somebody and, and, and inspire them in a way that wasn't just like a do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. Um, he wasn't in the military. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Cyclone, um, he he relied more on his, his stars than actual charisma. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And I was wrong. Don Draper was in the military, but he wasn't currently like... That's correct. He was... Yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing. He was uh, kind of a deserter. Right, but he was still in the military. <laughs> he was still enlisted at some point. That's true. He went. Um, so <laughs> he went. There were two other parts that I thought were really um, worth really cool worth mentioning that stuck out. Um, so yeah, you mentioned the the scene of the beach scene. And one is at the beach. The other one is at like a beach volleyball, which it wasn't right in the water. The beach scene in the volleyball, like for Top Gun, was toward like the beginning of the movie. And they did push this character building thing further toward the middle. And so I really appreciated how there was a purpose to this team building exercise. So I suppose, you know, a lot of people complain about the original movie and say that, like, why did they have to have these guys in jeans, like, with their shirts off for no reason? And maybe it was implied that it was supposed to be team building, but they didn't, like, do it well enough for the audience to get it. But then this time they absolutely said, no, this is why. So I feel like maybe that was Tom Cruise trying to cover some loose ends on the last one and then throw it in people's faces. Like, yeah, this is important, guys. And this is exactly exactly why because these people are about to find out they're like receiving a death note tomorrow basically and like we need to stick them together so i did appreciate like the tact behind like their scene in the second one but oh my goodness one of the most special scenes for me was when he was with penny 
so again, they had like a parallel, like he went back to the, to the bar and this scene was like the parallel would have been when we had like that conversation with Charlie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so around that same time, he ended up coming back to the bar and he had like a moment of character development, just like the first one with Penny. And so what I absolutely loved about it was we've known Maverick as a character who is the alpha, like no matter what, even when he is in the wrong, he's actually in the right in this way. He's always the best at everything he does, etc. And so that's what we expect from him. So it was really nice to like bring in this like real like human quality to him where, yeah, like he doesn't know anything about sailing. Like she was the alpha. She was the one on the sailboat who is teaching him and even like the whole she's behind him while he's holding the um the wheel the wheel like that was so incredibly symbolic and like a beautiful and sweet moment because it was so it wasn't like an alpha moment for anybody it was just like this is who we are like there is no male versus female like we have different skills i don't know i really i really appreciated how that was like a different side of him that like we never knew before because even when he was with charlie like he always you know in the first one where he comes in and he says i want to take a shower and like can i take a shower and she kind of pushes him and doesn't allow him to but then he leaves on his own terms because he wants to take a shower so this time everything was on her terms and then eventually when they do end up like having their their moment their intimate scene i do appreciate how it was very tasteful like the first one where they just it was just like an an emotional intimacy that you saw and everything else was implied but it didn't matter right because that's not what the movie's about they're not exploiting like sex in this movie and so um it's not the 80s anymore no, but even in the 80s, like their scene was still really tasteful. I mean, maybe it was tasteful because of the context behind that, right? Like it was a scene that they had to put in afterwards and she had already had like dyed her hair. So they had to do the silhouette action so they wouldn't notice that she's already on another movie. Um, I don't know if you knew that. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Yeah. So, you know, the following scene where they see each other in the elevator and they just look at each other. They don't really say anything. They just smile. And she has that hat. And that's the only time she ever has a hat and her hair is back. It's because her hair was brown and you can see that it is brown. But they're like, okay, like the audience was not okay with no love stuff. So we're just going to throw these two in there real quick. So, yeah, that's really fun. Yeah, anyway, I really appreciated how there was a bit of a reality check, too, when Tom Cruise, like, sneaks out of the window, right? And we mm-hmm. always knew him to be this player, and it was kind of, like, okay and and encouraged that he was this little, like, ladies' man that is a heartbreaker. But it was really amazing to me that, first off, the scene starts with, like, him not being an alpha with it being completely equal and him like having to learn from her and really showing his vulnerable side a lot. And then when he jumps out of the window and the daughter sees him, that shame he has for like everything he used to be and all the people he did her, including Penny over decades, right? Like that accountability on his face and in his character. And that was one moment where, again, they brought us back to, no, this isn't, this isn't the eighties. This isn't just hoorah glory. This is about accountability. This is about history repeating itself, but not allowing your actions to repeat themselves, about doing it better the next time. And the way you can do it better is by holding yourself accountable. And that is one thing that Maverick does this whole movie with all of his pilots that he's training is teaching them accountability 
constantly by saying like, you know, the very first time he does it with them is why did they die? And they give the wrong answer. Why did they die? And he holds everyone accountable. He holds the one who like didn't communicate accountable. And he holds the other one who breaked a certain way, like either way, all of them. And oh, and the, and the other, um, what is this? What, what are they? The, not the, um, like the weapons, the weapons specialists, like he holds them accountable as well, along with um, yeah, they the got to get that laser to work or or it's all for nothing. And they only have a few seconds to do it. Exactly. And so I really appreciated that accountability was constantly there because it wasn't in the first one. And it's because this time, like this movie did not end like the first one because of that constant checking and pivoting. It was really powerful because you realize like this is why he is exactly where he is. This is why like all of that growth that we went from like the very end of the first one to like the beginning of this one, like the growth that you see in his face, everything like we were able to catch up to like exactly how that even happened, like with his training of the um, pilots. And so that was just so beautiful, like beautifully written, beautifully executed. Do you think that the opening scenes with I I can only think of that aircraft as the Aurora, which was kind of kind of like a name given to some mystery experimental aircraft from Area Fifty One. Oh yeah, but it might be too old for for that aircraft to be the Aurora. But still, I'm going to call it that. Um, yeah. So, would you say that the seeds of showing that he's willing to take on high levels of accountability, even in kind of a gamble when he makes that Mach 10 flight because he wants his co-workers to keep their jobs, keep their contract, keep working on this, keep working on piloted aircraft. You know, if if it doesn't work, then it's just his career that gets flushed down the toilet, I guess. Or his life. <laughs> or his life, right. Yeah. <laughs> what that little abs- kid say? This is Earth. <laughs> <laughs> That was so cute. I really loved how many like little cute cheesy moments that were that worked. Oh my gosh. It was so precious. Like, like the end when he uh, says, when he was like, why would you know when he pushed Bradshaw when he pushed Brewster and he's like, why are you here? This is not the point. (laughs) Like I was making a point. Like you came back, you shouldn't have come back. And he's like, you told me to don't think like just do and then he stopped like that was one of those moments where you know the audience is laughing that shot where maverick releases his his flares by flying between rooster and the missile jesus christ holy crap beautiful shot never saw it coming I, I mean, I don't know how they pulled it off. Probably visual effects. It doesn't matter. It totally worked. It was only on screen for like a second. You understood what was happening. I love that shit. I just love that shit. Uh, oh <laughs> I see oh that on screen, yeah. putting, putting your, your own self between certain harm and uh, your loved ones. That was such a redeeming moment for us. I mean, for Maverick, obviously, but also for us, right? Because we loved Maverick in the first one, but we did feel like conflicted, right? Because of the responsibility, not that he did anything, but just he is the pilot. That's just a lot of responsibility that everyone puts on him. And so, yeah, I think that that moment, oh my gosh, I I was just completely in denial. I was just like, no, that... I, I don't know. I don't know. Is the movie ever? I don't I don't know. Cut his plane Nothing's in half. <laughs> I know. That's a bad start. <laughs> I know, I know. But it was beautiful. Even if the movie had ended there, you can't complain because 
you felt, you know, the accountability that he had, like he was their leader, right? That was his job. He, no matter what is going to fulfill it. And he always had that um, mindset in the first one as well. It's just now he has the power and the rank to actually execute it. It was really, really, really crazy powerful. Yeah, that fucking scene, which I'm really glad it was like a couple scenes later, it was just like the nice comic relief and we got to start over and go to the next little little life and death situation in the next one. So I was really, really happy about that, like adrenaline keeping me going instead of just like deep, dark sorrow <laughs> after that moment. I felt the same way. Like if the movie ended there, I would have gotten what I what I came yeah. for, you know, this an, uh, an honorable end to this journeyman guy who found uh, a way to save his surrogate son at the last second. Right. I mean, I'm not I'm not sad at all that it went on past that, but I got mm -hmm. my tickets worth at that moment. And that's really amazing to hear. And I wonder, you know, how many other people in the audience felt that way. And that says a lot about their character development, too, like from the first one to the second one. In those intervening years, there was a long time before Rooster applied to the Naval Academy. He would have, he would have been 18 about that time, maybe 17, but 18 when he found out about not getting in. So... As much as, as a fighter pilot can be present in a person's life like that, I wonder to what extent he was, like what that relationship looked like. Was it just Uncle Pete? Was it just uh, Maverick? Like, was it just every, every time he got shore leave, he, he would visit? I like yeah. to think it was. I think it was because... Um... All of that guilt that he carried and all that, like the theme of accountability, I and, and they were really close. You know, if he was just an uncle and then he did that, it, it I don't think the anger between their chemistry like would have been as significant as it was mm. because he did reference a lot like of like conversations that he had like with the mother. Like he did mm -hmm. say like your mother wanted the blah, blah, blah. And that doesn't seem like a negligent like uncle <laughs> vibe. Well, and that it also speaks to the part where he won't sell out Meg Ryan. Exactly. Ever. He won't. Uh, speaks to that relationship, whether it was stronger with Gooser or eventually with her after Goose died. Um, it, it's kind of off screen and left in our minds, but it's palpable enough. That we kind of understand. We get it. One thing, though, that did get me a lot and, and why I did say that... I, you know, I feel like the audience really grew up with him and matured with him is because, I mean, my own experience when, like, I did take this character and I did decide to be, like, my ethics just are this character, like, Maverick. It's funny because I obviously had never seen the movie, but I, like, that is my motto. Don't think, just do. That is my motto. That's what I tell Inez all of the time. That's what I tell everybody. Like, that's how I've lived my life since adulthood. And so when I saw that on screen, I thought, holy shit, like, how did we, me and Tom Cruise and the writers, how did we apparently, like, get to the exact same place from this little, like, sprout that we had? I don't know if it's the autism that, I mean, it is, I guess, like, that was me saying, okay, this character, like, this is who the type of person I want to be. And so it was, like, die hard, deeply embedded as far as, like, the ethics, the risk, the the weighing the risks and knowing the consequences and then accepting the consequences. Like, that's always been me. I don't, I do apologize when I am in the wrong, but, like, if I say something, I mean it. Even if it, like, came a certain way, like, I did mean it. 
and I'm not going to take it back. That is, I will apologize, but I will not take it back because that is my accountability. And so seeing him like have that, like reach his character, that character, like finally reach this point that that's like the only way you can live is by just doing right. Finally getting the point where you are accepting your instincts because you've done enough that you can actually legitimately trust yourself. You've made enough mistakes where it is embedded in you, like the right next step. Yeah. That was another big one. Like that was that, I mean, it was just crazy. Like, I don't know, like there's something really special about this story and about the tying from the first one and the second one in so many ways that, I mean, there are endless ways that you can like make these connections that didn't actually happen. Like make these connections between the first and second movie. Like, as you just said, with the Meg Ryan references and everything like it was really really impressive writing and production i cannot like i can't even fathom it it just seems like i don't know like not like (laughs) one one life this whole thing was just it's a whole life of itself it's not two movies it's just one life one existence in one dimension that we got to have a peek into i think that's a great way to end this podcast it's uh, a hearty recommendation from the two of us. And if you listen to all of our uh, podcasts starring Gabby, you can start to piece together Gabby's entire personality. <laughs> if people want to find you and debate your rules and ethics on social media, where would they, where would they look now that we've uh, <laughs> openly decided that, that you are, are in a position where you, you'll defend yourself no matter what? Just a warning, like if someone's just like gonna send me type some harassment stuff, it's not gonna it's not gonna affect me. So, but if you want to, yeah, have a conversation or have a discussion, the Divergent Duet, we um, are coming out with a website and a we have a TikTok. So that's where you can find me. And honestly. I'm doing that with my partner, Inez. And so good luck finding me on that. (laughs) I'm the introvert of the group. so And I don't really care about many things. So if you want to find me and I don't want you to, then you won't. And that's that. She's like Batman. I like it. That was really nice. If you put up your sign, she may come. Exactly. (laughs) That's me. I love it. Thank you, Paul. You, You get me. I think so. I try. Anyway, if you want to find me, I'm at Paul V. Daily. I'm also at Pod Clubhouse or our website, podclubhouse.com. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate and review it on whatever platform you like, but mostly iTunes. That's the big one. That's the, that's the big one out there. So thanks for your time, Gabby, and let's uh, reconnect again in the future and um, find some more movies we like to talk about. They're out there. I'll send you a list right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.